Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Plainsight Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and if you're new to the show, um, this is a show where I basically talk about conspiracy theories, right? I mean, not to sound like Alex Jones or anything like that. Um, you know, I'd I like to be the opposite of Alex Jones, um, especially <laughs> right now. I mean, that guy, that guy just needs to, he just needs to go away, you know? Um, but anyways, uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about The Sandman on Netflix. And um, I guess we'll get right into it. I mean, going into the show... I honestly didn't really know anything about the comic book. Um, I've heard of the writer because um, I used to work in a bookstore for like <laughs> a year. Um, it was like a couple years ago, I guess. Um, but I remember seeing like a shit ton of his books on the shelves. I mean, so he's an author and he's written a lot of crap. And I really didn't realize, you know, and this was even just a couple of years ago, I didn't realize the extent of his kind of occult connections and knowledge and all that. And there's actually a lot of it. Um, so um, my first exposure to his work was as a kid with Coraline because he wrote Coraline. Um, and, you know, the film, which is, like, stop motion, I guess. Um, Leica Studios, I'm pretty sure, are the ones that did it. But anyways, it's a masterpiece. Um, and, and that book and film have um, kind of occult themes and Gnostic themes and going down the rabbit hole, like, quite literally, Coraline goes through hole into another realm, but this episode isn't about Coraline, so anyways, the comic, The Sandman, that's what we're talking about, uh, was written by Neil Gaiman and published by DC Comics in January of 1989 and ended in March of 1996, and I guess it had... 75 issues um it won a bunch of awards apparently and um a lot of people kind of consider it to be this guy's masterpiece like his magnum opus so um i'm mostly going to be focusing on what i saw in the netflix show since i haven't read the comics and don't really intend to but i think it's actually pretty close to the comic i mean i've read some you know, negative reviews on IMDb, but you know how that is. People on there are crazy. Um, I'm also going to try to not get too deep into the lore of the characters or the story unless they, like, specifically pertain to the occult or else we'll be here, like, all fucking day. I mean, I don't know anything about the comic, really. I didn't read it. All I know about is the show on Netflix. So, you know, I'm going to describe the plot quite a bit too probably not all of it but some of it so spoilers if you really care about that sort of thing um i mean the show is pretty good actually i will say i'll start off by saying the show is good 
the first six episodes are pretty good. And then the rest kind of just fell off for me because they start introducing new characters. And, you know, at that point, I'm very invested in this main character that, you know, I'm going to be talking about here. But they kind of dropped the ball, in my opinion, on the last few episodes. But whatever. it's, It's worth watching. I mean, if you're into this kind of nerdy comic book goth <laughs> the thing it's very like goth emo vibes um but you know the the trailers are the thing that made me want to watch it because it does have this kind of dark fantasy angle and the cinematography and the landscapes and the effects all looked good in the trailers right so i was like yeah i want to check it out and uh, oh boy you know, I, I I I thought maybe there might be some like because usually I run into this occult stuff, you know. I don't even really seek it out. It just kinda comes to me. And I mean, the very first scene, I mean one of the like pretty much the first scene, the the, the opening of the show, the, the Sandman, the first episode is about this like secret society of occultist doing a ritual incantation to summon the literal embodiment of death (laughs) okay so you know this is the sort of shit i talk about on this podcast and we'll continue to be talking about in the future i mean i know that i've you know at this point i haven't done a ton of episodes but you know i'm working on it it's it's a growing progress it's a growing thing so um there's even a direct name drop of Aleister Crowley um, by one of the main guys in the first episode, which is what I'm about to get into. I'm going to break down, um, I think, like four or five episodes. Just kind of the things I noticed that jumped out that were kind of occulty in nature. Um, so, yeah, and I found that interesting that in the DC universe, Aleister Crowley exists because of this comic and this guy's connection to him and all that so anyways let's get into the first episode um the show okay it does start with some narration about the waking world and the dream world so already you've got this kind of um uh what would you call that this kind of metaphysical uh, matrix-like idea of the waking world and the dream world and are we really just in a dream or a simulated reality or what What are we in, you know? Um, it already, it kind of starts off with that sort of thing with the narration and then we start following around Tywin Lannister. Now, I'm just going to refer to him as Tywin Lannister. I think his name is Charles Dance. I have no idea what his character's name in the show is um oh actually i do i have it written down here i have a lot written down um i cannot do this podcast without these notes uh because there's a lot of shit but anyways um in the show his name is roderick burgess okay and he's the guy that they say in the show knows alistair crowley and they mention crowley by name okay so this is 
pretty much within the first five minutes of the show, okay? Um, he's this rich occultist guy, and he's living in this big castle. And we see him doing this blood ritual with a bunch of guys dressed in robes. It's like very stereotypical Illuminati-type imagery that we see all the fucking time. Um, you know, do, do I think that that's kind of really how the shit looks and how it's going down? No, not really. I probably don't think so. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. We see the imagery, right? And there are these sigils on the floor and apparently they're trying to summon death right because he wants to reconnect with his dead son or wife or something i can't remember exactly but he accidentally summons this (laughs) naked emo looking dude named morpheus and he's the main character of the show and that's who you kind of follow throughout the whole show but He is the embodiment, the human physical embodiment of dreams, of the dream world and dreams. So when he's summoned, he has on this strange-looking, almost extraterrestrial space helmet. And I thought that was a cool little touch. I mean, I guess that's a part of the comic. But this idea of you know, this entity being summoned from another realm. He's He shows up, he's naked, but he also has this space helmet on. It's, it's a helmet apparatus-looking thing, and it really reminded me of the ones from Alien, the Alien franchise, especially the first movie, you know, when they're in the dark. When they're in the spaceship that's on the planet, and, you know, there's the big body and the chair, and there's a strange mask apparatus looking thing and they get more into it in Prometheus and that helmet kind of comes back and makes a reappearance and all that shit but it reminded me of that but anyways um death also shows up with oh not death dream also shows up with this red stone that gets taken um but it kind of reminded me of the philosopher's stone in myth which you know, we'll connect to some later things in the show. And I've been reading about the Philosopher's Stone a lot lately, and it's, um, I don't know, it's interesting. I can't get into it now. But that's all I'm going to talk about regarding the first episode. It was the first episode that made me, like, well, shit, I guess I have to do a podcast about it now because, you know, there's it's just too blatant. It's too blatant. It's like, <laughs> you got to watch it. You should watch it because it's... Uh, it's interesting, but um, anyway, Tywin's character dies in the first episode, and Morpheus escapes from the castle, and that's basically all that happens in the first episode. I mean, it's kind of long and drawn out, but it's, you know, kind of like the origin, the how this happens, that sort of thing. Now, episode two, kind of get into a little more juicy stuff. Um, so the, the, the character, Dream... His name is also Morpheus. They refer to him as Morpheus. He's the Sandman, right? So the show is called The Sandman. He's the Sandman. He's the angsty, emo, goth-looking guy in all the trailers and all that. So Morpheus, you know, I just think of Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix, right? I don't know if there's any connections there, but... um, 
in this episode, he goes and summons the fates. And they are these three witchy-looking women. You know, and I always like a good witch scene, you know, and I thought this one was this one was pretty good. Um, but I wanted to point out um, a couple pieces of, of dialogue, basically, because he's summoning the three fates. And he says, the three who are one, the one who is three. Now, yeah, and I wrote this down. It, it doesn't pertain to the occult as much as it does just kind of the human condition and religion, I guess, definitely more so religion because, you know, it has to do with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And three who are one, one who is three. And like I said, I'm, or I've said before, I'm not religious, but I do look into the Bible sometimes and these religious sort of things i mean there's a lot of theories about the holy trinity thing and i don't think christianity is the only religion to use this concept of a holy trinity of the three being a sacred type of number i don't know i need to look into it more but i definitely thought it was worth mentioning and right after that he calls one of them hecate um, one of these witches, Hecate, and I had to look up Hecate, and so Hecate is, was an ancient Greek goddess, okay, associated with Greek mythology, and she was usually depicted with torches. Now, there's some arguments I've seen online saying that she looks just like the Statue of Liberty, because she's often depicted wearing a crown that's similar and the torch thing does kind of give some credence to that argument but I don't know how convinced I am of that but she was also depicted with snakes a key and sometimes a dog um, she also always had three heads and was you know what you would kind of consider a trinity I mean she had three heads right so this is important because you know like I said earlier I think religions just pull from each other and these myths get passed down generation after generation until eventually you just have a bunch of nonsense but there's a little bit of truth to everything right so I just thought it was worth mentioning the three the trinity and, you know, this Hecate figure kind of ties us into the Statue of Liberty. And anyway, Sigmund Freud, um, to go a little further down the rabbit hole on this, um, I added this little note here. You could also tie the Trinity into Sigmund Freud's theory on the human personality because he, he theorized that I mean, it's not really theory anymore. I mean, it's pretty much proven, but the personality is made up of the ego, the superego, and the id. That's what it's called, the id. It's spelled I-D, but I'm not a psychoanalyst or a fucking psychologist, nothing like that, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but, you know, I might get into it later on later episodes because Freud was on to something, you know, like Carl Jung or... Uh, there's there's like psychiatrists and doctors and scientists that come up when you're looking into these sorts of things and there's just some common ones some common names that come up 
Okay, so I'm going to move on to episode three. I didn't even really describe what happened in episode two because, um, I mean, nothing really important. I don't know. It, it, nothing pertaining to the occult. That's what we're focusing on here is the occult. So now in episode three, we do get introduced to this character of Constantine who... You know, I I have seen this movie with Keanu Reeves, Constantine, um, and I knew it was kind of based off of a comic book. Didn't know much about him. Apparently, that movie with Keanu Reeves is, like, pretty different than the comic book, and they're not really accurate. And uh, Constantine is apparently an occult detective. Like, that's what they described him as on Wikipedia, and online, like an occult detective. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting. An occult detective. That's me, right? <laughs> Detecting all the occult shit. But um, Keanu Reeves is always in very occult heavy films, by the way. I mean, he is always. I mean, I could do a whole episode on Keanu Reeves and all his connections. And um, he's a strange guy to me. But. Um, Anyways, whatever. Um, this uh, this character of Constantine is played by a girl in this new Netflix show. And apparently people were mad about the gender swap thing. But, you know, whatever. I, I really didn't care. I thought she did a good job. She was fine as Constantine. Um, and there's this scene where she finds a guy in this bar or this theater. And he's just laying on this, like, large pentagram with some sigils and he's holding a book called satanic rituals and it has a picture of the baphomet on the front of it and he says <laughs> to constantine that he him and his buddies were just having some fun and you know kind of a funny scene whatever um but the big occult reference in this episode and kind of moving forward is um, from this character that is played by David Thulese. I think that's how you say his name, David Thulese, who you'll recognize mostly, I recognize mostly as Lupin from the Harry Potter films, Professor Lupin. Uh, he fucking transforms into a werewolf and shit, you know? Uh, but he's had a pretty successful career, and I, I think he's actually a pretty underrated actor. Like, even this role, which I would consider, like, a lesser, probably, role. Like, it's not... The role... This show is not particularly, I would say, well-written. Like, super well-directed. Like, it's kind of awkward. Some of it is kind of stilted and awkward. But this guy... He always brings something to the role. Like I, I just love watching this guy. I'll watch anything with him. He's he's a great actor. Um, but anyways, the name of the character that he plays in the show is John D. And I was like, holy fuck. Okay, yeah, I have to talk about this. I have to do a podcast about this because if you spend any time looking into this weird shit that has to do with the occult, going down a rabbit hole, the reality of things, then this is a name that, that 
I mean, I, you're going to come across. You're going to come across it often. And I'm literally working on an episode because this kind of inspired me and triggered me to want to work on this. I'm working on an episode now about John D to get really in-depth with it. Um, so at one point, I will be doing that. Probably It will probably be the next episode, honestly. But um, I'm just going to try to do my best to quickly tell you who he was here on this episode. Um I'm just going to give you the quick cliff notes, basically, but I will be doing a deeper one about John D specifically, probably on the next episode. <laughs> just repeating myself, but whatever. He was, um, basically, he was this guy who was Queen Elizabeth's closest personal advisor, and this was during the 1500s, I guess, m mid to late 1500s I don't I can't remember but uh, he was really into math and science and astronomy so he was a nerd right basically and he had this huge library and it was like the best library in London apparently and people from all over the all over would come to his library to read his books and study and um, anyways, to make a super long and complex story short, he dabbled in the occult, right? And he, he's like one of the OGs, I guess, in terms of this occult stuff and summoning things. And that's really what he, he's best known for. Um, he and this guy named Edward Kelly were basically in contact with spiritual beings or angels aliens whatever the fuck you want to call them i mean but they dilated what's called the enochian language and you can look into this the enochian language and it ends up becoming connected to the book of enoch from the bible and the nephilim you know, which is interesting because John Dee had not read the Book of Enoch at the time that he was channeling or scrying or whatever the fuck they were doing to get this information, to talk to these beings or whatever. Um, but, I, like I said, I can't... I'm not going to get too deep on it now, but... A lot of the instruments that he used, I will mention this, he to, to channel or whatever he was doing, they're actually on display at the British Museum of London. And you can look them up. Um, just type in um, John D. British Museum of London. And you can see all the kind of... He had like a crystal ball and an obsidian mirror, black mirror type thing, and I don't know, I, I just think it's cool, and it'd be interesting to, first of all, visit London, and then go to the British Museum, and see those things in person, but, um, they also dabbled in necromancy, um, which is kind of what they were known for, um, which is like resurrecting the dead, basically, and that's kind of a theme in the show because, you know, in the first episode, Tywin Lannister is trying to resurrect death, but he ends up resurrecting Dream, Morpheus, instead, 
which ends up being bad for the bigger picture. And this is interesting because John D actually believed that he had accidentally opened some sort of gate or portal to another dimension and that it was going to trigger an apocalypse that the entities talked to him about and they referred to it as the harvest. So pretty weird stuff. I'm going to be doing an episode about John D. Like I said, it'll probably be the next episode. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> Anyways, episode four. Now back to the show. I, John D. kind of sidetracked us, but in this episode, Morpheus has to go to hell. <laughs> okay, of course. You always got to go to hell and talk to fucking Satan. Um, but in this, he talks to Lucifer Morningstar. Now, this character is significant for a few reasons in the context of the show. Lucifer rules over the realm of hell. And in DC Comics, Lucifer is considered to be one of the most powerful beings in the whole DC universe. Okay. Which I find interesting because there's people that would argue that Lucifer exists in some manner in reality and is also a powerful being. Um, Now, this idea of Lucifer is one that I've always kind of found interesting because I feel like there's a lot of uh, misinterpretations and um, it's like, what, what is this idea of Lucifer? Like, is Lucifer Satan? Is Satan Lucifer? Um, is it all, what does it all mean, I guess, in terms of that? So I'm going to talk about that a little bit here. Um, try to make sense of it a little bit. I'm still, um, still learning, you know, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm, I'm just learning and trying to understand things, but um anyways this character of lucifer in the dc universe is popular and there's like a spin-off show you've probably heard of it or seen it on netflix uh, called lucifer i think it's on network tv too but um it's just called lucifer and it's all based off this character and more so neil gaiman's lucifer that he wrote in this sandman comic you know so it's not like um a real-life kind of interpretation of Lucifer. It's more just this guy's character. And in this Netflix show, Lucifer is played by Gwendolyn Christie. Um, She, like Tywin Lannister, was also in Game of Thrones, playing Brienne of Tarth, I think was her name. She's she's also a good actress. I like her. She kind of brings... she has a presence about her, um, I feel like. But she also has, like, a, kind of a baby face. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's strange. She has a strange thing going on with her. And I thought she was a great casting for Lucifer. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> Take a shot every time I say fucking Lucifer. Um, <laughs> uh, so Lucifer and Luciferianism... I mean, it is a thing that comes up, like, quite a bit when you're going into, getting into this sort of thing, and you're looking into the occult, um, and like I said, I'm not a religious person, I'm not, like, a Christian, 
so I feel like I'm able to, but I'm not like Luciferian either, okay, I'm not, I'm just not religious, so I think that's a good thing, I feel like I'm able to kind of look at all this stuff pretty subjectively, as subjectively as I can, and you know, that's kind of the sort of how I want to approach it, approach it. Now, I do have this book, and I've had it for a while. I mean, it was good that I had... I mean, I had to scrounge around to find it. It was in behind a shelf in my drawer... Or behind a drawer in my fucking cabinet. Like, haven't read it in years. Had to skim through it. Whatever. Um, but it's called Apotheosis. The beginner's guide ultimate beginner's guide to luciferianism and the left hand path it is written by michael w ford um and you know i bought it because i was interested in this the left hand path mostly but this idea of luciferianism as well um so we're gonna get into it um the name lucifer is actually a latin word meaning light bearer from the Roman term for morning star. Okay. So the the planet Venus is also referred to as Lucifer. And that's that's another thing to note. I mean, there is um I feel like you could make the argument that the word Lucifer I mean that is and always has been and only is a reference to the planet Venus. Um, I mean, it is the Latin word for light bearer and the Roman term for morning star. And that's because you can see it in the fucking sky. I mean, it's one of the few planets you can't see in the sky. And I don't know if it's one of the first planets you can see in the morning. I mean, I'm not an astrologist. I don't know. But I think that that's more or less where this term comes from, um, the planet Venus. Um, but, um, Lucifer in Roman folklore was personified as typically a male figure holding a torch, um, much like the Statue of Liberty, except the Statue of Liberty is a lady, but the idea of holding or bearing a torch or light, um, is one that comes up often in the occult and luciferianism because it's the idea of enlightenment okay the illumination of consciousness basically and i'm trying to think of some examples i mean you think of like the pixar logo you know where the little light bulb jumps out and he jumps on the eye and it's a little light and the light goes out and um George Lucas um, has industrial light magic, okay, light magic, this idea of light, um, uh, Fox search light pictures, um, the film The Lighthouse, I don't know if you've ever seen that film with Robert Pattinson, Robert Eggers, that film is an occult tale, basically, um, so, yeah, um, let me read from Apotheosis here. Um, it says, Lucifer is the bringer of light, representing wisdom, the power of will and self-illumination. 
Lucifer represents the angelic or higher aspects of the self, thus is a power archetype and spirit of ascension and wisdom. The fallen angel is a syncretic deity which is composed of both masculine and feminine deities from the ancient world. Um, And it also says that Lucifer is balanced light, representing the higher intellect and the dark, representing the hidden aspects of oneself. The light is not merely an above illumination, rather more the light within which is our individual consciousness, our divine potential to control and command our life based on our thoughts, words, and actions. So... Now, I do think I should note that, like I said, this is called The Beginner's Guide to Luciferianism. So this is written from a perspective of someone who identifies with Luciferianism. And this is kind of how they see or interpret this idea of Lucifer. And I've seen this concept... I mean, when you look into this occult stuff and you start getting into kind of the darker stuff, you start to kind of rationalize... Well, what kind of belief system could enable someone to uh, get into this way of thinking, I guess? And I don't know how to explain it really, but um, like I said, the it's the idea of enlightenment, basically. Now, not all interpretations of Lucifer are like the one I just read, you know. I mean, the it's this unorthodox way of thinking because us normies, the things we see as dark, you know, the Luciferianisms, they're the, the kind of Luciferianism way of thinking don't see dark things as dark. Um, and the book even gets into this a little bit, saying about darkness... Um, that it's primal and demonic, subconscious. This is how they describe darkness, or this guy describes darkness in the book. Um, Survival instincts, ego, animalistic urges, hidden knowledge, predatory instincts, chaos, dreams, violent impulses. So he includes violent impulses, and then he says, neither good nor evil. And I think that that's the big crux of this whole Luciferianism thing because the idea is that these things aren't viewed as bad or evil. They're just seen as they are. Um, Which, you know, that's a slippery slope um, because you're using, it encourages you to use your own judgment and your own instincts to keep all these things in check, basically, but, you know, it's like, how far is too far? I mean, if let's say, I mean, if you are a person that, you know, indulges in d- the darkness, I mean, I would say, I mean, it says neither good nor evil, but I do believe in the idea of evil. I do believe that there is evil out there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get too off my notes here. Um... They also say that, or they talk about this idea of the adversary in the book. And this is another important archetype that you kind of see in films and TV a lot. And that's 
that of the kind of rebellious spirit. Um, and I do believe that this kind of spirit is in all of us a little bit in a way. I mean, when you rebel against the system, when you rebel against injustice, when you know that something is wrong and you know in your heart and you you do what's true to yourself, you know, and you're true to what you believe is right. I mean, that is the rebellious power. And that's what they describe as the adversary. So let me read from the book. It says the adversary is the rebellious power or dark spirit, which is dual, basically meaning that it's composed of both masculine and feminine energies. Okay. Now, the Luciferian, this is what it says, the Luciferian recognizes these as powers within the mind, spirit, and body and seeks to transform the self into this type of individual as a god or goddess. It is called the adversary or opposer as it is dual, standing separate yet the same. This is the power which stirs life and creates and destroys within the universe. Um, so kind of think of the orb, kind of reminds me of the Ouroboros, the snake consuming its own tail, right? And also says, remember, it was the serpent which brought wisdom to humanity, allowing them to become aware of good and evil in the Bible. So here they're kind of contradicting themselves because earlier they talk about all these bad things and they say neither good nor evil, but then they say that it was the serpent which brought wisdom to humanity, allowing them to become more aware of good and evil in the Bible. So that is an acknowledgement of evil. Um, I mean, there has to be an acknowledgement, some sort of acknowledgement of good and evil, I think, in some way. I mean, or else you're just, everything's just going to slip into chaos. But, you know, the world seems to be slipping more and more into this chaotic state. And these ideas, these occult ideas tie into it because it is, in a lot of ways, chaos but it's chaos that is being summoned in a way i believe um so i think i'm gonna go ahead and stop there because that's pretty much where the occult references and connections slow down and stop but i thought this was all worth mentioning and you know like i said the sandman is a pretty good show but the second half sucked pretty bad in my opinion but um, yeah anyway stay tuned for future episodes like i said i'm working right now on one about john d we're gonna get more in depth with him like talking about these angels talking to these angels and him and edward kelly and their kind of tumultuous relationship and it'll be a history lesson you know because we'll be talking about queen elizabeth and queen mary and um 007 also so stay tuned for that and uh, i'll talk to you on the next one